Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Jeff Wilson, welcome to The Mentor bonus episode, mate. And I don't do them very often. Well, hey, and thank you, Mark. Jeff's a, an asset manager. He's a financial guy, um, better known in my circles and generally speaking, but he's a well-known financial financial guy. He's been in the markets for a long, long time, famously established a business called Wilson Asset Management. I call it WAM, but we don't really want to call it WAM, but Wilson Asset Management. Um, it's a fund manager. Um, maybe quickly explain what a fund manager does. And, and by the way, how important are fund managers in Australia relative to building a bridge between investors and buying equities? I mean, that is a difficult question because I remember you know, one of the great investors that uh, in Australia, a gentleman called Robert Maple Brown, who you know, started as a fund manager, I think, in the 60s when, uh, and I remember I was, I was chatting to him and he was telling me about when he came home and told his parents that he was going to, he was going to be a fund manager and and manage people's money, and his parents said, "Why would anyone do that? Like, can't we manage our own money?" And, and you know, back in the yeah, you know, a, a number of years ago, is that's what people did, and and then it's become a profession. Um, now it's since you know, superannuation you know, has grown, and, and and the amount of money that's invested. In the stock market, etc., has grown. Then, then there's been a lot of professional, um, you know, fund managers, and, and the fund management industry grow to, you know, to manage you know, trillions of trillions of dollars. So, what does a fund manager do? Um, you know, what do we do? We have a pool of capital um, that is um, investors' capital, or, or and we manage it on their behalf. And so, what we're trying to do is we're trying to add value to that um, and that's why we get paid and, and you could argue if we don't make money for them or add value to that, then we shouldn't get paid. That so, makes sense. Yeah. So it's, it's a, yeah, a manager of a, a pool of capital. And then you have these things called LICs. Yes. Which is a listed investment corporation. Explain how that fits within your program. Okay. And, and maybe we go take a step back. So it was about 25 years ago. I, I, I've been – in the financial market since the early 80s. Uh, ended up doing a science degree at uni. Couldn't get a job. You know, early 80s, unemployment was 10%. Uh, ended up getting a job as a trainee superannuation fund uh, and then, then realised that I really enjoyed and loved you know, the opportunity to analyse companies and try to decide which companies 
are, are good to invest in. Um, and then 25 years ago, um, I ended up setting up my own business and I, and I started with you know, all the money I had at that point in time, it was half a million dollars. And a, um, you know, a, a gentleman called Reg Grundy who you know, made a lot of money in production you know, a number of years ago. He, seven fame. Yeah, exactly. And and he put in the other half a million dollars. So I started with a million dollars, you know, managing it. Um, and, and then I've grown over time. And initially the structure we used was just a normal, um, you know, a fund structure. And then uh, after about a year and a half, I decided I'd set up a, a listed investment company or, or LICs. And, and why was that was because I'd read a lot of research about it that those structures do really well um, because they're a they're listed on the stock market. You can buy and sell shares in them. Um, you, you raise the amount of money when you start off, and then the money um, you know, stays in there, and you're not forced to buy or sell at any point in time. And, and what a lot of what happens to a lot of people with the stock market is they get um, they do the wrong thing. You know, they react to their emotions. You know, when they're fearful, they sell, um, and then when they're feeling greedy, they buy. <laughs> they buy, and you know, when the market's going well, they buy more. And and, and you know, the average investor probably gets half the return of the market. Um, and so, to me, the great thing is, and and so therefore, they put money in when things are high, uh, and they pull money out at, at you know when things are low. And and so, with a listed investment company. You know, you never have people taking money in, in and taking it out. You've got a fixed pool of capital and they're listed on the stock market. So to me, you know, it was a structure that that sort of outperformed the market and and the research I saw back then said over a 50-year period they outperformed the market by, sorry, outperform other funds by 1.5% to 2%. And I just thought, what a great structure. Well, we've actually set up 10 of them, um, you know, eight of them, Oh, uh, actually, a Wilson Asset Management managed by Wilson Asset Management, and, and the reason why I was sort of sensitive about the acronym WAM is because they're all called WAM. Like there's WAM Capital, WAM Leaders, WAM Microcap. They're um, all LICs. They're the LICs. Yeah, yeah, and, and also we did set up two LICs. Yeah, you know, they're they're future generation LICs. They're called where we've got a whole lot of fund managers to manage the money for free, and that's about a billion dollars of assets. And then one percent of that money goes to help you know, children at risk uh, and youth mental health, and that's about you know ten million dollars a year. And so far, since they've been going, we've we've sort of given or invested about sixty five million dollars into youth mental health and, and children at risk. Wilson's been around for a while, and he's done well for himself, and um, hasn't probably always been the way. You mean you've yeah been through the dip? What happens to someone like? Jeff Wilson, as he gets older, I suppose it is the classic Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, initially, it, it's survival. You know, you know, when you start off working when you're very young, it's make some money, uh, and then to get a roof over your head, and then as as you develop, then yeah, you know, depending on what type of human being uh, and, and your upbringing is and your values, then yeah, you, know, you develop in a certain way. I, I suppose I was one of six kids. Yeah, you know, I was the third child. Yeah. You know, yeah, squeezed in the middle, so <laughs> maybe I had to prove myself. Maybe that's what keeps driving me. Um, and like, mum was a nurse, and and yeah, dad was a doctor. So yeah, I sort of the the values for them was it's important to give back. Um, 
And I remember when, you know, setting up Wilson Asset Management, the focus was to make a difference, make a difference initially to our shareholders, you know, make a difference to our investors. You know, like now we've got it. We manage about $5 billion for 130,000 investors. Um, you know, so to stand up for them and to make a difference for them. And then, you know, we're obviously involved in the community and and how do we give back to the community? And um, and that's sort of always been a focus you know, as probably after we you know, got through the first few years and we started to, you know, make money and, and make, make some profits. And, um, and we've had, you know, as an organisation, you know, you try to work out, yeah, you know, we've got fifty-five employees. Um, yeah, in the old days, it was yeah you know, when we were a lot smaller, it was someone would be doing something, want to raise some money. Oh yeah, I'll I'll make that decision. But yeah, you know, we tried to democratize that a number of years ago. So each of our employees, it doesn't matter what salary you're on, you get we give them ten thousand dollars a year to give to whatever charities they want. You know, ideally, we'd like them to give to a number of charities. Yeah, we also you know support charities and and you know various things that we you know believe are, are important. One thing that we've been you know very vocal in, and maybe we come back to that a little later, is standing up for what we think is right for our shareholders. Um, you know, our average shareholder would be you know a self managed super uh, person um, that sort of worked all its all their life and and have got a um, amount amount of money in self managed yeah you know, their self managed super they, fund. They elect to manage their own fund, yeah, their own money, as yeah, opposed exactly. to putting it with their employer's fund, uh, correct, or, or one of the industry funds. Uh, yeah, cor- uh, correct. Um, that's probably about sixty five percent of our our shareholders, and then and for them, yeah, and they've worked all their life and done the right thing, and and franking credits uh, is quite significant for them in terms of they invest in a company, it pays a dividend, it's not double franked. Sorry, it's not double taxed, so they get it. Well, the nonsense of double taxation for a start, I mean, it's, well, yes. the unfairness is probably a better way of doing it. Yes. Because you've just talked yourself into a position now where you basically stand up for your shareholders and all yep. your investors. Yeah. Uh, fully franked dividends. Yes. Why is that an important deal? Back in the old, you know, the bad old days, you'd have a company that would make money and, you know, and pay, you know, say it makes, you know, and pays $3 tax and then it's got $7 left and say it paid some of that $7 out to its investors as a dividend, in the bad old days, you know, you would pay whatever your tax rate is on that dividend. You, the shareholder, on the dividend, after it's already been taxed once. Yeah, you get taxed again. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, effectively, yeah. That was the the bad old days and, 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 you know, I've got to take my hat off to Paul Keating. Yeah, you know, he stood up to you know the tre- the Treasury Department, and he fought there. Was Frank Crean at the time? I think or what? was Frank Crean? <laughs> I, I remember it well because I was working at uh, Simon Zabowski in those days. Oh, and one okay. of the areas we specialised in was this area. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. So okay. Uh, yeah, so I do remember it quite well, and yeah. uh, and it was the bad old days. Yeah, and and so he stood up to them, and he said. Hey, this isn't right. If we want people to, you know, what is the lifeblood of Australia? It's companies. You know, it's we've got two and a half million small companies. You know, you've successfully, you know, taken you know small companies and made them into big companies. Yeah, you know, so, so 
yeah, that's what you, you've got to encourage investment in small companies. So, yeah, why would you tax their, what their dividends twice? So, does that mean if my tax rate is forty percent? Yes, because I'm maybe over, earning over two hundred thousand dollars. Yes, but the and I and part of that two hundred thousand dollars earn is a dividend. Yes, um, and if the company tax rate is thirty percent. Yes, in those days, in that yes. on that example. Yes, that means I get a thirty percent. Credit, yes, against what the company's already paid, and Correct. only just pay the difference of ten percent. One hundred percent, right? Yeah, it makes uh, sense. Yeah, yeah, it, it, very logical. Uh, and, and the weird thing is, people that are against franking say we're one of the only countries in the world that has franking. That might mean we're the only fair country in the world. Well, a fair, and b, yeah, you know, we're also one of the only companies in the world that hasn't had a recession, you know, for the last three decades plus and because what the franking system does, it actually encourages Australian companies, A, to invest in Australia and that's to employ Australians, to pay tax in Australia and then that allows them to pay those dividends out which they're called fully frank dividends um, because they've already had tax paid on them and that and that and what that does, it actually encourages Australians to invest in those companies because they like getting the fully frank dividends because some people, you know, that are older that yeah, you know, or, or the, the mums and dads that have a tax rate of less than 30%, you know, say if you only have a tax rate of 10% or 15% um, or, or zero, you know, if you, it's in your, you know, if you're in pension phase in your super fund, then you get that 30% back. So, so you get a refund. You get a refund, yes. Which, that, which is a good top up. Well, it helps you survive. 100%. And that's what a lot of the you know, older people have, have set their lives up you know, to operate like that. So it, it's a, it, it really is such a logical system. And see, what happens is most companies around the world, they borrow money because you know, if they borrow money, they pay interest and interest is tax deductible. So it's usually cheaper to borrow money than raise capital. But because of the franking system in Australia, um, and because the price, you know, the the value of our companies, it, it actually increases the value of our companies. It's actually cheaper for Australian companies to raise new c- capital. So As rather like through equity, through through equity rather than debt. So that's why we did so well during the GFC. That's why we did so well through COVID. That's why we'll do so well now. And and that's that's why we're. Re- you know, we're incredibly nervous at the moment because the current government is proposing two changes to the franking system which have significant second and third order effects. And by the way, credit where credit is due. A lot of people are putting the boot into Keating at the moment. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. 
Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But Keating not only brought out unbelievable amount of tax reforms like you were just talking about, yes. like the introduction of franking credits or, or pressure to introduce franking credits, but he also, in my business, he uh, reorganized the whole banking industry such that non-bank lenders could proliferate and take on the bank. So he deregulated the banking industry yeah. relative to, you know, people like me lending money to people, to borrowers. He did some fantastic stuff. You explained that a lot of self-managed super funds, which comes off the back of compulsory superannuation, um, invest in equity markets. Yes. Otherwise, where are they going to invest the money? Like, you know, they've got to invest... It's yes. really designed to invest your money in the equity market, yes. your, your funds that you're saving for your yes. retirement yes. so that you're not a burden on the country the day you retire. Correct. Makes sense. Yes. So if but, I'm- But, but they, could, they could invest it in the international equity market, but because of franking, they, they invest it in it, the Australian market. Which is what we want. 100%. We want the money to go back into Australian companies Correct. so Australian companies can take on, can compete globally yes. and can take on the international markets. And it, means, it also means more research here, for example. Uh, well, you know, and more employment. Yeah, yeah. And, and employ Australians. Like, Everything what makes we, sense. Yeah, we want to look after Australia. Yeah. You know, like, you know, just raising money through equity markets because an equity market in Australia for an Australian business is um, has these special advantages as a result of what Keating did in the late eighties, um, um, puts Australia in a very competitive comp- uh, position relative to the rest of the world. Correct. And just just doing research in a company, if you, you might be, a, um, I don't know, you might be a lithium mine or something like that, and you you want to go and research what you can do with lithium, or you might be a, a health company that uh, needs to research, I don't know, motor neuron disease or some sort of disease that you're trying to work in. If you can raise money from the Australian equity market because it um, has advantages relative to franking credits yes. compared to the rest of the world, that's what our, our government should be encouraging. That's the policy we want to see in place Correct. as voters. 100%. If we're voting, yep. we want to see governments do that. And what's interesting is that that was a Labor Party that did that, yes. which is sort of a little bit counterintuitive. Yes. Um, to be frank with you. Yes. Pardon the pun. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, and so what you're saying is there are a great deal of intelligent policy reasons for franking credits in Australia. It's not there for just for greedy people who don't want to pay tax. No. That's just bullshit. Yes. It's, it's has, it, in fact, probably as many people, probably even more people, Use it just to supplement their income. Someone like my, like my dad, yes. who doesn't earn enough money yes. to pay a high rate of tax to get some big advantage, he actually can get a little bit of a, 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 a refund and actually put himself in a better position, just yes. not to be uh, not to be uh, bleeding the system. Mm. But and, but but as you said, the bigger thing is to get Australian companies and the, and those big industry funds, yeah. You know, I mean, there are articles written in the paper saying how they've got so much money invested in Australian companies. You know, they're, they're, they've got too, they've got overweight Australia. They're, there's too much money. 
I don't know if you saw the article in the FT last week. Financial where, Times. Yeah, that's right. Where where in England they were they were complaining that all the big industry funds and the big pension funds over there don't have enough money invested in English companies. They've invested in global companies. And and the great thing about the franking system, it encourages you you to put your money effectively where you live. And so and, well, okay. Yeah. So what's the risk? If Jim Chalmers, mm. Dr. Jim Chalmers, is a good bloke, very smart economist, knows his stuff, the treasurer of the federal government, what's the risk to investors and to Australia if they start tinkering with these franking credits? Mm. I mean, I'm, the risk is enormous. Like like the risk is, uh, like to, uh, to me, the, the really disappointing thing from my perspective is the Labor when they're in opposition 2018, 2019, they talked about changing the franking system. And that was really, you know, that was trying to stop the some individuals from getting the franking credits and others would get it. Uh, and they lost that election. It was, you know, the unlosable election, which they lost. And I think a lot yeah. of that was because of that. Um, I remember the, 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 yeah. the older retired people really well, unhappy. 100%. And I think what happened is their children and their grandchildren realised how bad it was going to be for them and they voted against or they changed their votes. To, yeah, because we'll end yeah. up having to support our parents. At yeah. the end of the day, if they haven't got enough income, where are they going to get it from? Well, and, and they, they, I think a lot of that income have been supporting their children and their grandchildren. And around the other way too. <laughs> That's but, right. Well, both ways. Yeah, yeah. And so what – and then they came out before this, you know, the, the election you know, nearly a year ago – the Labor Party came out and said, we, are, we will not touch franking. You know, Albanese said that, Chalmers said that, that was their strategy. And then the you know, latter part of last year, September, October, they came out with two measures. They, they call them integrity measures, but unfortunately you know, they are going to change the, the franking uh, framework. And, and what back in 1819, they were trying to stop individuals from getting the franking. What these are is they're trying to stop the companies from paying the franking. And the one that we're really worried about is they're trying to stop uh, a company that raises money. If if a dollar of that money they raise at any time is used, is used to pay a fully frank dividend. So of those two and a half million small and medium-sized companies in Australia that are growing all the time, that eventually, well, one of our one of our investors, yeah, you know, he is. He sent me a story. He's one of them. He, he'd been operating for set up a company eight years ago. Got a group of investors to put some money in. Been losing money for five years. Finally, in the last couple of years, has made back the losses. And this year, he's finally paid some tax. So, because he's paid tax, he can pay a fully frank dividend to his investors. But he, he hasn't got the capital. Like he's in, he's a growth company. He needs he needs more capital. So what he wanted to do was pay them a fully frank dividend and raise some more capital. He can't do that under this legislation. And what it is like to me, unfortunately, the government and Treasury when they model these things, they don't look at the you know the second and third order um, impacts. And I mean, what we're seeing globally at the moment. Yeah, you know, with um, yeah you know, the uh, Silicon Valley Bank, with Credit Suisse, yeah, you know, with the banking sector in the US, 
is we're seeing you know, second and third order effects of the increase in interest rates. Now, we never thought this would happen, but it's starting to happen. And the second and third order effects of these changes on franking credits is, is going to be devastating for small growth companies in Australia, which are the lifeblood of Australians. You know, the large companies that have a lot of franking, you know, they've got, you know, the ones that are excess franking, why pay more tax in Australia? They'll go invest overseas. You know, so to me, it's unfortunately, this is the start of the dismantling of the system and and we've got to stop it now. Good. So, so just on that, yeah. so you having these LICs with yeah. lots of capital, which you invest in lots of small businesses or yes. smaller companies, yes. you, know, you buy yes. shares for various companies. Yes. If someone's on doing a, a roadshow and they're yes. a, a good business, got a great uh, yes. thesis, you know, business has great prospects, interests you in terms of where you like to direct your traffic, your money, yes. that is, but all of a sudden they change the landscape and you don't think you're ever going to get, be able to get a franking credit out of this entity does that mean that Wilson Asset Manager will have to say, look, I'm sorry, we can't really invest in you and all of a sudden this this poor bloody company can't actually go out and execute on their thesis and, you know, maybe they say, well, we better go overseas and raise the money we'll, we'll move to America. Uh, do we run a risk here? Oh, oh, oh there's, there's definitely that risk. Yeah, there's definitely that risk. And the, I mean, unfortunately for the company, they, like instead of maybe they were going to be able to raise the money at, Say you know, just hypothetically, ten dollars a share. You know, because yeah, you know, and they were paying a fully frank dividend. Yeah, you know, maybe they they've got to raise the money at like six dollars a share, which it, dilutes all the other shareholders. Correct, the current shareholders yeah. if they don't participate. Yeah. It's a problem. Or, or, or what they might do is they're better off going overseas, as you said, and raising it at a, at a, at a, a different price. But and, then, it, and then when they go overseas, largely what happens is they end up, in, especially in the USA, you end up saying, well, we, we've got these shareholders over here. We better open an office here. Next thing you know, you start employing people over there and you run your business from there. You know, you end up saying, well, we might as well just run it out of San Francisco or somewhere like that, somewhere in, in the US. And we lose employment in Australia. We lose um, intellectual property. We we lose returns for our shareholders, our you know pensioners, and everyone else who likes to invest in these sorts of companies, and we use our we lose our um, sense of self. Like uh, Australia has been a great place to invest, yes, from an equities point of view, mm-hmm. and it puts it makes a mockery of what Keating developed in the first place. He, he wrote a piece, yeah, a few years ago, saying, "Look, you've got to be aware of Treasury and franking," and he said every seven years they try to stop it and see what they they just see one side of the ledger they just see revenue exactly the revenue they just don't want they they would prefer double taxation you know they don't want they don't understand how you know the amount of employment in australia like i mean we're both around in the early 80s i, I remember you look at australian companies then like the banks were trading on p's of 4 like the the average PE for an Australian company, you know, or you know, price to earnings was seven times. You know, banks are now on multiples of that. Like Australian companies, probably most of them would have been taken over by international companies if we didn't have the franking system. So why? What? Okay. Yeah. Why? Well, then Jeff, tell me. Whilst Treasury, that's yes. the Department of Treasury, yes. are only, their job they're saying is our job is to raise as much money as we possibly can Correct. because we've got to breach the gap between deficits and surpluses yes. and try and get yes. – the only way we can do is get more money in. Yes. Or spend less, but that's yes. unlikely. Yes. Um, 
maybe it's a combination, but we've got to get more money, whatever happens. But the treasurer doesn't have to think that way because he's a politician as opposed to a public servant. I mean, why isn't um, Jim Chalmers listening? Have Uh, you spoken to him? Well, no, we haven't. Like we we would like, we're open to speak to everyone. We we wrote, before Christmas, wrote letters to 227 uh, MPs. We've seen Liberal, Labor, uh, Independents, Greens, um, and 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 their advisors, you know, so we're happy to speak to them. I, I think they. Well, what worries me is this is the part of the dismantling of the franking system, or well, the tax system generally, even one hundred percent. And if you're going to do that, like come up uh, up front, yeah, be and, honest, yeah, be honest, and sort of do the right thing. So to me, they're trying to do it by stealth, and and they're they're thinking like. The, the policy, there's two policies at the moment on franking. One's to do with buyback, which we're not, and that raises 550 mil uh, over the forward estimates, and we're not that stressed about that. The other one is the one where is about the capital raising, and that only raises 10 million a year for the five years. But what it'll do, it'll just stop those companies paying those 40 franc dividends and, and really stop those small companies and get the large companies focusing on not paying tax in Australia. So to me, that's that's the one that we're... That does make sense at all to me. Uh, no, it, to me, it, it, well, it doesn't if you're... Yeah, if you can understand the you know, the second and third order effects. Um, unfortunately, Treasury only ever looks at the first order effect and they're talking about the raising of the $10 million. Like why would you even bother doing it for the raising of the $10 million if there's nothing... No, there must be something sinister. They're, they're saying, oh, well, the Liberals, they suggested it first back in 2016, but um, that was Mor- Morrison, you know, when he was Treasurer. But then when Frydenberg came in, he knew the, you know, significant unintended consequences, so they shelved it. And so they're trying to bring it back as a Liberal... Uh, uh, well, blame it. They're saying it's a Liberal idea and we're just going to bring it back in. 100%. But the, yeah, but what it does, yeah, the, the there's, there's about 30... Um, seven billion dollars a year of franking each year that isn't paid out. That's tax paid that isn't paid out as fully frank dividends. And what they're trying to do is stop that. What they don't realise is they're mainly large companies that are making those, and the people in large companies, you, they're the smartest people. So if they don't need to pay thirty-seven billion in tax because they don't need the franking, then they're not going to, are they? Well, I want you to look straight down that camera there and I want you to tell Jim Chalmers, Dr Jim Chalmers, (laughs) who's not a bad bloke, by the way, what do you want to tell him about this? Hey, look, look, Jim, I would love to have a conversation with you. Um, Yeah, we've we've tried to. We've spoken to some of the people in in your party and you've just got to drop that part part of the legislation. You know, the buyback, there's a few tweaks to it. Yeah, it's all solvable And, and, and really... You know, the $550 million, I know that's going to come from mums and dads and, you know, and super funds that you're going to raise in the forward estimates, but you can still, you can still achieve that. You know, just, just leave the $10 million a year and don't destroy the franking system. And, Jim, Graham Richardson told me many years ago when you weren't in government that the next Treasurer of Australia will be a Queenslander, which... I was a bit nervous about because we were talking about state of origin and I was having lunch with Richard and but he did give you a glowing endorsement as a decent bloke, as a very intelligent bloke and someone who's destined for big things in this country in terms of policy. 
So I know Jeff and we're not here just trying to stitch up. This is not just pushing back against a tax policy, but it's actually pushing back against a policy that's going to have a, a knock-on effect in so many ways across Australia, which ultimately probably will give you guys a bad rep when it comes to the next round of um, elections and votes. So, and I, from if Richo's correct, then I know that's not what you want to do and you want to have good quality policy across the board in Australia. So my suggestion, if if you don't mind me saying so, is that you do sit down with someone like Jeff and whoever else he wants to bring along and at least have a conversation with him. That way, whatever decision you make, you can make a proper decision with all the information, not just what your team are telling you, but all the market information that you need to know. Jeff Wilson, thanks very much for coming in, mate. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mentor with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Simon McDermott. This is a Mentored Podcast. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.